0: Hey, this is Scott Ardella, author of The Edge of Strength, now available on Amazon, and you're listening to the Ardella Training Podcast, the strength and performance podcast for the serious fitness enthusiast. Now, let's get started with this week's show. Hey, if you're looking for a new high-quality kettlebell, I've got a recommendation for you. My preferred kettlebell brand, due to exceptional quality and outstanding price, is the Rogue Kettlebell which I personally use. I recommend this brand if you're looking to add kettlebells to your collection or get started with your kettlebell training experience. The shape, the feel, the design, the quality is excellent and I highly recommend it. To see the exact kettlebell I use, go to ardellatraining.com forward slash kettlebell. Again, that's ardellatraining.com forward slash kettlebell. You won't find a high-quality kettlebell for this price anywhere else, so definitely check it out, guys. All right, guys, what's up? Welcome to episode number 176 this week with my guest, Steph Gaudreau. Steph is awesome. She is a writer, holistic nutritionist, athlete, podcaster, and so much more. I guarantee you're going to love this session. It was a lot of fun and uh, really valuable content. And I know that I enjoyed it, and I'm sure you will too. So I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. First of all, a couple of quick things, and then we're going to get right into the interview session. First of all, I hope that you're enjoying the interrogation series. We recently released the fifth interview session of the interrogation series, and these are really valuable, really uh, important, informative, short impact Sessions with real people from the Ardella training community. So I hope that you're getting a lot of value from them and learning some great new things from these uh, short interview sessions in the interrogation series. Also, wanted to let you know that I was able to recently record and publish a new episode of the Scientific Strength podcast. If you haven't heard that, uh, check that out. I hadn't been able to do an episode of Scientific Strength for a while because of a lot of other things I'm working on, but I came across a really interesting and important study, I thought, and wanted to share that on the show. You can also read about that study as well as I wrote an article about that. So if you'd like to listen or read about it, whatever you prefer, check out Scientific Strength, the podcast, or go to our and read about that study. And the study is about deadlifting. Also, if you could take a minute. And please drop in a quick review in iTunes for the Ardella Training Podcast. I always like to encourage you to drop in a review because it helps the podcast be found and discovered by more people in iTunes. And I'm really trying to get the message out there to help people through this show. And guys, the reality is it's so easy to drop in a review in iTunes. It'll take you a minute or two and uh, it would really help other people. So if you could do that, that would be great. And I'm really happy to say that we are breaking new records each month here on the Ardella Training Podcast. This was another record-breaking month with the podcast here on this show, and it's because of you, the people who are listening and helping to grow and build this show. So thank you so much for doing that. I'm really excited and really proud to uh, continue to go to new heights with the Ardella Training Podcast. And of course, guys, be sure to join the community of subscribers at Ardellatraining.com. Go to Ardellatraining.com forward slash join, and you'll be the first to know about some key projects that I am developing right now. It's going to be really exciting for the second half of the year, some amazing things that are going to be breaking and I'll be sharing those things with the uh subscribers and and all of you very soon. But uh, you'll get some great free resources and some inside information at ardellatraining.com forward slash join. So with that, let me give you a little bit of background on this interview with Steph Gaudreau. And again, this is a fun, dynamic, and uh, really valuable, informative interview. When I set up this interview, I had a list of questions that I wanted to ask Steph And I have to be honest that I didn't get to the majority of questions in this interview because it was so dynamic and she was saying things that prompted me to drill down deeper and ask her questions off of what she was saying. So this is a really free-flowing, really, really dynamic interview session. I had a lot of fun and it just kind of went in different directions But uh, we certainly covered a lot of ground as far as her approach, talked a lot about uh, strength training, about uh, life, and just different things and hearing and learning from her. So I know you're going to love this session, and uh, let me tell you about Steph here, and then we'll get right to it. So Steph Gaudreau combines a formal education in biology and human physiology with 12 years of science teaching experience she is a certified holistic nutrition practitioner and founder of stupideasypaleo.com. You'll also find her writing at com. Again, as always, be sure to check the show notes for this episode to find the links for everything that we talk about. She also wrote the bestseller, The Paleo Athlete, A Beginner's Guide to Real Food for Performance. She wrote that in 2014, and she has her award-winning book, the Performance Paleo Cookbook in 2015. Steph is also a podcaster, and she's the host of Harder to Kill Radio. She's made a big impact on this industry, and she shares a lot of great insights in this interview session. So let's do it, guys. Let's jump into the interview. I really hope that you enjoy it. All right, guys. I'm excited to have Steph Gaudreau join the show this week. And Steph, thanks so much for being here.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me on.
0: My pleasure. So sure. let's jump right into this and let's start with the Steph Gaudreau backstory. So how <laughs> did you kind of get to where you are today? Uh, I've read about you on your your great website, but I always like to hear from the guests kind of how they got to where they are today.
1: Yeah. I'll give, try to give you the condensed version sure. so that we're not here for three hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, but growing up, I had just kind of a... An, I would say, pretty normal childhood. I was really into sports and stuff like that, interested in science. And when I got to college, decided to study biology and didn't really want to work in a lab because I I kind of craved that human connection a little bit more than I thought a lab could offer me. At first, I wanted to kind of go into medicine, but then I, I sort of stepped back and looked at my uncle who was a pediatrician, and I noticed how much he was... Gone on holidays and you know on call and and all kinds of stuff like that and I kind of thought oh I don't know if that suits what I want to do either so I I kind of took a third route which was to become a teacher and so I became a science teacher I've taught all sorts of life sciences and stuff like that but for the for most of my career I was teaching chemistry and biology and some you know different variations of that so I, kind of a science nerd at heart and that's what I did professionally for 12 years until I woke up in 2012 and and had a, a coaching experience um, where I was being coached. And I it was a program to become a better athlete in terms of mindset. But one of the things that I took most from that program was actually that I was really unsatisfied with my career. And so I sort of embarked on a year and a half process to figure out what I was going to do <laughs> and eventually... Get up the courage to leave my job, which I did almost three years ago. Actually, it's like a week shy of my three year anniversary of leaving my teaching job. So, yeah, yeah. in the last three years, I've been working for myself and took the blog that I had back in 2011 and eventually morphed it into a business where I help people learn how to eat healthier and create recipes. And now I'm sort of branched a little bit more into the strength training aspect of what I do. So, I mentioned I've always been a competitive at sports and stuff like that and I've done all sorts of things. I mean, martial arts and soccer and all kinds of different stuff growing up, but when I was in my early 20s, I found mountain biking and I did that competitively for about 8 years. Found myself right around this same time as 2010, 2011, kind of at an interesting crossroads where I was, you know, like growing up, I guess I never felt like, I wasn't a sickly child per se, but I had a lot of health issues that were nagging at me. And, you know, you kind of get to a point where you're like, is this just how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life? And um, so I decided to try a different way of eating. And I had tried lots of different things and essentially started adopting a, a gluten free, grain free way of eating that was focused on getting rid of processed foods and stuff like that. And lo and behold, I started to feel way better than I had in years and years and years. And my mountain biking got better. And I did that for, you know, concurrently with mountain biking for probably a, a little over a year, but I was starting to get burnt out on racing bikes. Right. And I had done that for so long. I was also having some back pain and other things that I was just like, I need something different. And so a friend had challenged me to crossfit to do a CrossFit class and I was like, all right, I'll do that. And so tried CrossFit and kinda of instantly hooked. And so I got involved and in, in interested in this idea of building strength. And for the first time in a long time found a lot of sort of peace and relief at the idea that I didn't have to worry about the size of my body anymore. Cause I was as someone who races bikes, the the goal is ultimately to be the smallest you can possibly be because of things like climbing up hills and power to weight ratio and all sorts of stuff like that. So I finally felt like I didn't have to be focused on what I looked like. I could just focus on what my body could do and being strong. And so that kind of propelled me into this this area of strength training and Olympic weightlifting and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of what I do now. Like I actually coach at a gym here in San Diego. I train here in San Diego and I spend the rest of my time online helping people navigate the world of nutrition and food. Fantastic. Yeah. So
0: so much there so yeah. <laughs> <much>. <laughs> So let me go all the way back to the beginning with yeah. your your interest and love of science. So were you always interested in, in, I think you mentioned biology, chemistry. Yeah. Was this something you were always interested in? And then how uh, much of a role does that play into your approach today? Maybe just kind of, especially with nutrition and yeah. how that, that plays into that. You
1: know, my interest in science and stuff was really, Catalyzed by my grandfather, my sister and I lived with my grandparents for a short period of time after my mom divorced from my father when we were little. And you know, I really kind of remember him taking a, a really interesting approach to just teaching us about the world. And you know, we would go down to the pond and in the spring with buckets and catch tadpoles and learn about. You know, he just taught us everything and sort of you know, bought me a telescope and we would talk about stars. And I was eight when he died. But I mean, if you can imagine in, in just a couple of years period of time, that was enough to really catalyze and sort of solidify my interest in the natural world. And I have a lot of other interests. Like I loved English class in high school and languages and art and drawing and being creative. But something about science always compelled me to learn you know, how things worked and why. And so... Yeah, that definitely plays into what I do today and why I'm interested in that sort of stuff. And so I studied biology in college, but I focused on human physiology, which probably isn't much of a surprise because I was always just curious and really super fascinated about how the body works. And, you know, we would be in science class and learning about the human body, and kids would be like, this is gross. I hate this. This is weird. And I was just couldn't get enough of it. So, Yeah, definitely what I do today. I feel like I have a unique skill set in that I can do something like read a journal article and understand what it means and then communicate that to normal everyday people. And my skills as a teacher and sort of how I break things down for people is really part of... It's really helped me do what I do. So yeah, I think science is important. I also think real life sort of in vivo <laughs> experiences yes. are important too and um everybody's a bit unique. And so I think that's really colored the way I look at nutrition and and sort of everything that I do today, training. There's definitely a science part of it, but there's also an art, an art <laughs> I, to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean the science is important, but it's also important to have that practical application of things as well. Sure. The real life De- stuff. Definitely. It's really interesting because so I'm a total science nerd myself. And But my story is a little bit different. I actually was not interested in science as a young kid and actually did horrible in school, in middle school. As a matter of fact, I I failed uh, a science class one year. I remember that. And Mm -hmm. I kind of started, I was a late developer and started developing a a passion for science in high school and then through college. And it's really just escalated and escalated through the years. But uh, Mm -hmm. so that's why I wanted to to ask you about how you're interest and passion with science started. All right. Now, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about that you mentioned in your story was about back pain. Oh, so, yeah. so how is your back uh, today?
1: Well, it's really interesting because I actually just made a pretty, well, I don't think it's a huge decision, but I made an important decision yesterday, which is to take some time off of normal training to further work on my back strength. And so back pain is, is something that I've dealt with on and off throughout most of my life that I can remember. And when I was racing bikes, I was training for a really important race. It's a really long race, very arduous race. I mean, when I was racing bikes, I got to the kind of the, the end of my bike racing career and I was racing eight to 12 hours at a time. So this isn't just like go do a lap around the park kind of thing. And and you can imagine the kind of strain that puts on your body. But I I trained super hard for this race and it was kind of like, my ultimate proving moment, and got five miles into it, and I was just struck with this back pain, and I thought, I don't know if I can even go on. And I had another, you know, fifty miles to go, and and that was sort of a a moment where I was like, maybe I just need to tra- change the modality of how I'm training. And so I I kind of stuck to the strength training and was doing CrossFit at the time, and of course, eventually that leads to you get stronger and you start loading your body with heavier loads. And in 2012, I, you know, I did a workout and it was, I did it at a weight that was probably beyond my skill level at the time and was let, you know, I let ego get into the mix and I wasn't around a coach. I was kind of doing it on my own with a friend and I just kind of kicked off this back injury and I sort of played the dance, right? It's like, let it heal for a little while, like take a week off and then get back into it. And I did that for probably a month or two and then woke up one morning and went and did a workout with the team trained and came home. And I was like, I um, I can't get off the floor and I can't dress myself without being in excruciating pain. Like my whole, you know, my whole back was spasming and stuff like that. So that was a huge wake up call for me. And I spent five months rehabbing and um, you know, I've, I've just always had some instability there and have been able to kind of get by and, you know, have had long periods of time where nothing's bothered me. But in in the fall, I I tweaked back a little bit doing a deadlift, my favorite movement, not my favorite movement at all. I hate deadlifting. Oh, really? And oh, okay. uh <laughs> did some deadlifts and was like, oh, so I felt something kind of shift in my back. I should take some time and not do that. And, um, you know, again, kind of like felt better than... You know, had another little tweak in December and then kind of started seeing her PT in January and felt pretty good. And then, you know, again, started getting a little bit of back pain here and there. And I was like, you know, uh, just yesterday I saw her and she, you know, didn't put the ultimatum out there, but she's like, you know, you've got some instability, L4, L5, like you're hypermobile in your back in some spots. And, um, I just have a lot of deficiencies in my movement now that I'm such a focused athlete. The Olympic weightlifting training that I do, you know, we hardly ever move out of the frontal plane. Right. We don't do a lot of unilateral training. So, you know, I've developed a lot of instabilities, imbalances, and stuff like that. So I'm actually taking eight weeks and refocusing on kind of stripping it back to basics, strengthening my right side. My right side's always been pretty weak and I've been able to compensate for it. Uh, And, you know, I just kind of am at the point now where I'm like, I need to uh, make sure I'm healthy and feel good. Um, Competing is like the icing on the cake for me. But yeah, it's kind of been this long. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, my back was killing me in 2011. I mean, I've been lucky I haven't had to have surgery or it's not been... You know, like in the grand scheme of things, it hasn't been life altering. And, you know, it, it's not like I ended up in a wheelchair or something. But at the same time, I'm like quality of life and being able to move around and do the basic things that you have to do every day as a human being, like putting on your own clothes. I want to be great at that. I want to be strong and good at my sport. But I, maybe it's maturity. Maybe it's going through it already. I'm like, I think I'm just going to take a little bit of time and uh, press the pause button. The barbell is still going to be there, but uh, I need to. Strengthen up a couple of things and work on that stuff.
0: Well, that sounds like a good plan. So yeah. no, no barbell training then for about eight weeks for you.
1: Yeah, there's really not any barbell training. There's definitely weights. So it's mostly kettlebell and dumbbell focused. Okay. And uh, yeah, let me tell you what. Yesterday I did day one. It's four, the training is four days a week. And it's actually, ironically, I look back when I hurt my back the first time and I'm like, I remember doing all this stuff. Like, And it definitely did make me stronger. but. You know, eventually you kind of revert back to, or I kind of reverted back to just really sports specific training and developed a lot of gaps in that game. But yeah, I did (laughs) a lot of this stuff yesterday, and I came home last night and I just looked at my husband and I said, I am exhausted. Like all this, all the stabilizer muscles and everything that I, you know, people look at Olympic weightlifters and we move the bar fast and we squat a lot of weight, but that doesn't always mean that like for me standing on my left foot, I can hardly maintain my balance, Sure, you know, sure. and, and even, um, just doing really strict, slow, extremely good quality push-ups, I do five and I start to lose extension through my T spine. And, you know, so it's like, those are areas where I need to strengthen.
0: So what is the plan or approach that you're doing for eight weeks? Is there a specific program that you're doing?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Teresa Larson owns a PT business and, and they primarily work out of gyms. Like they don't participate in a traditional PT model. Uh, they do things pretty differently, but they have a program called the low back fix, okay. which is eight weeks long. It's four workouts a week and they cycle between balance, uh, strength and power. And so yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I already <laughs> can see where it's, uh, it's going to help me out. I mean, it's hard. You you think about like, <laughs> right. for example, like I've been working on split jerks like crazy lately and have been having some difficulty with my technique and stuff. And I'm like, you know, for me being able to just strengthen my overhead position in sort of a, you know, like a strict pull up and stuff like that is something I should do. And when you're already doing four days of training every week and you're exhausted from that, it's hard sometimes to take the time to work on the other stuff that you probably should do. Right. So yeah, so that's what I'll be doing for the next couple months.
0: Nice. So, you know, this back talk, I mean, we could probably continue to keep talking about that. There's so much to talk about. I've actually had a major back injury myself many years ago. I've talked about this many times on the show, so I won't Mm -hmm. get into that now. Obviously, well, I'm a huge fan of the work by Dr. Stuart McGill, and he has Mm -hmm. a great book out called The Back Mechanic. So for anybody that's listening, that's interested in Learning more about back health, and then one of the recent guests, uh, Steph, that I had on the show was uh, Dr. Eric Goodman, and he has a, a system called Foundational Training. Not sure if you're familiar with that or not. Um, something fairly new to me, but I'm I'm actually reading his book right now, and yeah. uh, he's had a lot of success with that.
1: So I think somebody tagged me in it. Actually, I put a post up on my Instagram okay. earlier about sort of switching up my training for a bit, and people were chipping yeah. in with their you know, things that have helped them and stuff like that. And I think that's one of them that was mentioned. So,
0: yeah, I mean, there's a yeah. lot of different approaches and certainly if you're doing an eight week program right now, then, you know, you go with that and try to work on all the things that you, you already mentioned. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you get back to the uh, the barbell pretty soon. So
1: it'll be there waiting, you know, that's, that's right. thing It's not going anywhere.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about your big picture approach to, and you touched on a little bit kind of with nutrition and uh, and strength training. So how do you, how do you describe how you help people and how you really optimize health, yeah. especially with women that you work with?
1: Oh yeah. And that's a huge area. And I mean, not, I think never before have women had the opportunity to sort of, you know, and I, I interviewed people for my summit and and stuff like that. And we sort of talked about You know where did you get into fitness? And a few of my female guests were like, my mom did taught aerobics in the eighties. You know, and you kind of think about that sort of stuff. And I think never before, when you look at the resources that women have today, have we had such an opportunity to work on building strength, but in multiple different capacities. And. So what I see my bigger mission as and kind of my why is to help women discover the strength that they already have within them. And it, it doesn't look like just lifting barbells. You know, everybody comes, in it from, comes into it from a different angle. And I don't want people to think, well, unless you do barbell training, you might as well not bother. But when you sort of look at this idea of strength, it's a fundamental, it's something we're born to have. We're born to be these physical bodies that can move and pick things up and jump and run and hold things over our heads and have functioning bodies. But we're also sort of designed to think and grow mentally and have deep relationships with other people and that meaningful face-to-face contact and we're meant to feel good. Like there's no reason why people should feel like I have to walk around in this body that's revolting on, you know, like I truly believe that people can get to the point where they feel good. And it's just sort of a matter of picking the right input. And sometimes that means that y- you go slow. And sometimes it means that you're quiet. And sometimes it means that you're exploring the softer side of your life. And sometimes it means to go harder and reach for more and build strength and be kind of like, raw, you know, like I'm going to go after it. I think everybody sort of, sort of looks out into the world and they're like, well, this person says I have to do this. And this person says I have to do that. And I think it's really important to think about the fact that, you know, I saw I think it was a blog post and it was sort of aimed at the like the yoga mentality of like, Oh, be light. Everything is light and be the light. And the person was just like, sometimes I'm dark, you know, sometimes there's darkness in my life. And I think that it's important to point out that without the opposite thing, that concept wouldn't exist. Right. So everyone is a mixture of dark and light, strong and soft, quiet and loud. And it's, there is no one right or wrong approach for people. It's kind of what do you need at this moment in time to feed you and who you are. And, you know, I think that applies to things like nutrition and training very easily. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you had to eat a 100% gluten free or you might as well just not even bother and crawl under (laughs) a rock because you're failing at life. And it's like, okay, let's kind of understand why context is important. And I, you know... I post, so obviously I have a paleo account, you know, social media and stuff like that and a paleo recipe website. And if you follow kind of the most strict version, it's like you can't eat a white potato. And so every time I post a potato, I have to kind of caveat it and put a link to an article I wrote about figuring out if potatoes are right for you. But it's this idea of like context is more important than dogma, you know? So in the strength world, it's like Olympic weightlifters. Oh my God. If you ever did a low bar squat, you might as well just go and shame yourself, you know? Um, and it's like... <laughs> understand why certain modalities and certain methods of training are appropriate for certain people. And, you know, you see these very broad brushstrokes and these sort of, you know, these like just generalizations and ways of looking at the world. And it's like, well, you know, you would never do this. Like you should never do that. And it's like, well, you know, you have to consider the individual and their goals and stuff like that. So I try to be very open. Uh, The more I learn, the more I know, I don't know very much. And um, even sort of my own approaches to nutrition and training and stuff have changed, but I think we're all sort of students in the school of life. And I want people to understand that they can be strong no matter if they're a guy or a girl, like wherever you're at in your life, like you can start building strength, but strength takes many different forms. So
0: how do you rate strength as far as in terms of importance on a scale of one to 10, 10 being not important 10 being the most important thing and then additionally what quality of strength do you think is most important for most people
1: yeah well i'll start with your the last question first which is yeah. mental strength okay. you know without mental strength you're you're lost and there's certainly you know there are going to be times when you feel mentally more strong than others but you know when you're mentally strong and you're resilient and you're robust in sort of your thinking, then there's really, I mean, there's really not much that you can't achieve if you're really focused on meeting some kind of, um, metric in your life. I mean, whether that's graduating from college or starting a family or changing your career or getting healthy again and whatever it is like doing your first meet. I mean, if you're mentally strong, I think there's really nothing you can't accomplish. How important is strength? Like <laughs> on a scale of <laughs> one to ten. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I I look around these days and it crushes my soul to see people of all ages, but especially young people who can't do basic things like get up off the floor without a big production, or like, you know, having to get up on all fours or using their hands. And I think like strength, again, it's such a fundamental part of a, this human body that we have. I mean, I don't know if I want to say 10, like the absolute, because I think there's always kind of like a, <laughs> there's always an exception to the rule, with sure, that stuff, but sure. I would certainly rate it at the very high end, probably nine, nine and a half. I mean, if you can't physically function well, you know, I don't even think of, I had a chance to meet and work with some adaptive athletes recently. These are people who have lost limbs. They're in the military. They've lost limbs. They, maybe they have like a silent sort of injury, like a TBI or PTSD or something, but you know, even they can be strong in their own way. And so I think that's important. That's like an important asterisk there. Like strength doesn't just look one way, but in terms of strength being a human birthright, that's absolutely at the top of the list.
0: Yeah. Now what about conditioning? And I know it again, conditioning is a very, very broad term, But uh, in comparison to strength, is it equal? Is it, does it depend? What do you, what do you think there?
1: I think it kind of depends on what your goals are. You know, not everybody is going to want to run 26 miles. And I've, I've done that. I can say that I'm not hating on endurance athletes because I was one. I did triathlons and, you know, biking events and uh, half marathons and marathons and stuff like that. But, you know, I think we have to kind of look at our daily lives and figure out a lot of people you know, being a fitnesser just isn't part of who they are or they're like, I tried to run uh, a few miles once and I freaking hated it, but I love going to, you know, my Zumba class or whatever it is. So if that fits into the context of their life and they're like going to Zumba class or going to yoga or going and running a few miles makes me happy, I'm like, be good at whatever it is you can do. Like somebody like me, if I need to run away from something, I'm going to be able to run. If you maybe run 26 miles right now, I'm horribly conditioned for that. And I'll probably be <laughs> laid up in bed for a few days, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. But I mean, I think it's important that we, we are strong in many different ways. So I see a lot of athletes from our gym, uh, a lot of young people. And I can say that because I'm 37, they're in their early twenties and they, so, you know, they get strong, super fast. And they're like squatting all the weight and putting all the weight overhead. And they fail to understand that their connective tissue and their fascia is playing. It's, it's going to be hard to catch up. Like that's always going to be a bit behind in terms of their strength development. And so then we see a lot of people go out with those connective tissue kind of injuries Right. because right. Like different parts of their strength are, are developing at different rates. And so I think that's, that's something important to mention as well. Like, it's a complicated sort of thing, but I think you can be strong in many different ways. Like doing strength training can strengthen your heart and your cardiovascular system. Like, so a lot of times we like to, you know, pull out the one thing and be like, oh, running is bad for you. Or like, oh, endurance, only endurance training is bad for you. And I'm like, you know, the poison's kind of in the dose a lot of times. Yeah. And there's a lot of other stuff too, hormonally that goes on, which may or may not be a good fit for someone's overall health. You know, if you're out there doing tons and tons of endurance training and um, cardiovascular stuff, but your your hormones are kind of in the tank, your cortisol's way up, your sex hormones are way down, you're losing muscle mass. I mean, you kind of have to think like, what's the ultimate goal? Is it just to be strong, overall, well-rounded human being? You know, right? Sometimes the extreme, it's like it's like anything else. The extremes sometimes are the scariest, but not always the most health promoting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's again, there's so many variables in, in all this stuff Uh, when you look at strength training. So you can do strength training if you manipulate the variables uh, Mm -hmm. for conditioning, for example. So kettlebells is a great way to uh, build strength and conditioning, but there, you know, when we look at things, when we look at the whole human picture, we have strength, conditioning, mobility, flexibility, movement, movement, Coordination, motor control, all these things, and and they're all important, right? Mm-hmm. But I think what we agree on, what we're talking about here, is that strength is a foundational component to to all of that. And then there are different levels of strength and different uh, types of strength that are very uh, dependent on an individual' goals. So,
1: oh, sure. I mean, if the most basic is body weight strength, you know. Yes. And I kind of think about this too, and being elderly is distant, like it doesn't even register for some people, but I'm like, you know, I want to be able to get up off the floor or get off the toilet or, you know, these really basic things. And what is that? That's a squat or that's a hip hinge, you know, and you kind of think about if you have strength in some of the basic fundamental areas, like that's, Like that's very, very important. So people will often go like barbells scare me. And I'm like, you don't have to do barbells to do strength training. Right. You know, there's like, you can just start with body weight. Sure. If you want to, you know, if you have some super specific, like you want to lose body fat or do this and that, like you may have to kind of play around with some of those variables, like you mentioned, but, and sort of progress yourself, right. Just doing the same thing for, years on end, you're not going to necessarily progress, but it's sort of like taking it back down to the basic stuff and, and being able to just move your body through space and have body strength, This I and mean, you can't underestimate that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I have one thing that I wanted to say, and you were talking about uh, getting older, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that that's one thing I had this conversation earlier today and thinking about, you know, aging 70, 80 year old, being able to function mm-hmm. at a high level, being resilient, at a high level, being an older person. And my buddy, Chuck Mutchler, who's probably going to listen to the show. I think he listens <laughs> every week. He had something that he said that really stuck out to me. And his big goal, his uh, his bag goal, he called it actually, was to be able to do a 70-pound Turkish get-up at the age of 70. And I thought, man, <laughs> that is awesome. If you can do a 70-pound Turkish get-up at 70 years old, yeah. man, you are strong and resilient and Bulletproof, you know what I mean. So, yeah. I, you know, the seventy pound is again that that could be a lot of weight for some people. But I think the principle behind it is everything that you're talking about is just being able to be resilient and get up and down off the floor and move really well as we get into our older years.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can build strength at any age, right? Yes. But it becomes harder and harder and harder <laughs> as you go. And so, right. if you're sort of in middle age, like a lot of people. I know like myself, like my husband, I mean we're we're getting we're getting there, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we live a little bit longer than double what age we are now, but right. you know, I kind of think about like you get to a point where you're gonna have losses starting every year and That's so right. like giving yourself the best possible foundation with that is very, very important. One of my dear friends is she's spoken with me a couple times about this idea of sort of the black swan events and things we can't predict in our lives. And if you've ever read the book, anti-fragile by uh, Taleb, you know this concept, but you know, she, her name is Dr. Anastasia Boulet and she's very interested in evolutionary health and stuff like that. But one of the things she talks about is like, we all kind of expect we're going to have this, you know, gentle downward slide into old age and everything. is just going to be like, Oh, well, if something happens, we can come back from that. And, more than often what happens is you have this sort of like devastating um, slash severe thing will happen to you. And it's not a gentle slope. It's more like a huge drop off. Right. Right. And then to try to get back to baseline, even if you're experiencing kind of a, a normal decline, like is very difficult for people you know, and I, I sort of, I see this, this is played out in, in my own family and I'm sure people listening, like once you stop moving, I think of my grandmother, she was, well, she had strong bones and stuff like that. Cause she took a couple tumbles down the stairs and didn't break anything, but wow. you know, her, okay. her rheumatoid arthritis, which probably could have been managed through a little bit through diet, had they kind of known about that stuff, it just became increasingly harder and harder for her to move. And then once you stop moving, it's so hard to start, so you know I kind of think about that stuff as I you know look into the future, and it's like yeah, yeah, it'd be great, so lifting barbells stuff like that. But I also want to be able to uh, to just sort of have best quality of life, and I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, you know, I was just saying again earlier today in a previous conversation. So I live in South Florida. I was talking with someone in Boca Raton, mm-hmm. and in Boca, particularly, there's a lot of uh, geriatric people, you know, high uh, elderly population. And every day, you know, I see people that have difficulty moving around, walking, getting in and out of their car. You know, I just want to do everything I can to prevent that. You know, when I'm at that age, I just hope that I move better, you know, and I, I have strength and mobility and uh, stability to, to get up and move freely yeah. for as long as possible. I mean, really.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of loss of dignity when you take a look in sort of the the aging elderly population in a lot of the Western world. And I was in Thailand a couple of years ago, but I was also in Bali about five years ago. And there's this traditional sort of dance that's a very big tourist attraction. I watched these amazing, wise old men, you know, who like hardly had any teeth. And whatnot, but they were they was they were squatting down during this uh, ceremonial dance, and it was like over an hour. And then afterwards, it just got up and walked away. And I was like, "Holy crap!" Like that. I mean, to me, that's sort of what it means to have dignity as you get older. And you know, I sort of look around in, in the Western world, and a lot of people don't have a very dignified end end period of their lives. It's very sad.
0: Okay. So I just remembered an amazing story that I'm so glad you brought this up because it it made me think of this just now. So about a month ago, I was in West Palm Beach and I'm at an outdoor shopping mall Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm walking and I see three older people that I'm guessing they were in their seventies or so Asian descent. And they were just hanging out on a corner in this outdoor <laughs> shopping mall, squatting, a full yeah. squat. And they looked comfortable. They were having conversation. I think they were just waiting for other family members or something like that. And I'm like, that is amazing. You don't see people here in America doing that. They wouldn't have the mobility to be able to do that at that age. And here they, they were you know, just hanging out, just ha- having a conversation. And I watched them. Again, they sprung up. And they they started moving on. You know, I'm like, that is unbelievable. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's a story I wanted to share somewhere on this podcast. So
1: Yeah. You know, I think that idea for a lot of people is just so abstract. They're just like, I can never do that. But, you know, there are some things you can do to take some steps like – my husband and I both have standing desks and we move a lot throughout the day. We're actually trying to get rid of our couch right now. (laughs) We haven't been very successful in anybody wanting it, but we were at the ancestral health society's symposium last year in New Zealand and heard from a wonderful professor who sort of was like, yeah, he had to have been, I don't know exactly how old he was, probably his early sixties. And he's like, yeah, we uh, don't have a couch. We got rid of it. And getting up, and down off of the floor has become a daily practice. And you literally think about for how many people, yeah. how many people listening to this show right now is getting up and down off the floor, something you do every day. <laughs> Probably not many, Yeah, yeah. you know, unless you, um, do you do some stretching or something like that, but something as fundamental as just sitting a lot and trying to do some things to, move away from that. And, and I know a lot of people are like, well, standing in one place is also being sedentary, but there's more to it than that, you know, sort of moving your body and constantly yeah. adjusting your position and, and doing some active mobility and stuff like that. Well, here
0: we go down another path because I had, you know, Kelly Stretto on my show. I think you had uh, Kelly <laughs> and Juliet on your show as well. We talked about desk bound. And ever <laughs> since I did that interview with Kelly, actually during that interview with Kelly, I did the interview standing up. And I'm standing up right now. Every, every interview I've done since that interview session, <laughs> I said, I'm going to do all my podcast interviews standing up. So yeah. that's awesome. I love it.
1: Yeah. And, I, um, I'm also standing right now.
0: <laughs> very nice. Yeah. Uh, that's impact. That is impact right there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let me ask you this. What is the, uh, the single most important thing you do to, to optimize health? If you had to say one thing you do to optimize your health. Sleep. Really? What have you done recently or maybe not so recent to improve your sleep habits? And this is something, again, we've talked about a couple of times here on the show. I think it's so undervalued, Mm -hmm. uh, sleep. So what do you do? What are the the key strategies you do to sleep great?
1: Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. (laughs) I want to just put this out there because I'm sure a lot of people listening to your show are very um, training oriented and stuff like that. People always ask me questions about recovery and stuff like that. And I'm like, sleep is way more important than training. And it's a, it can really like you see people react to that and they get really uncomfortable. Sleep is fundamentally more important than training. And we have a rule in our house, unless we get seven hours of sleep or more, we don't train, wow. we don't get to train. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. See so yeah. a little penalty system set up.
1: Yeah, and I mean we're pretty good about stuff because we. Um, so all right, parents, they're hating on me and sending you hate mail for me. But you know, when like you've got little tiny babies at home, I'm like activity and movement important. Structured training probably not as important at that particular time. And everybody deals with it differently. And I don't have kids, so. Forgive me for saying, you know, stuff out of turn, but I also have to say like, you're, if, especially if you're a woman and you've just had a baby, like your body needs to recover and sure be active and like move and stuff like, that, but, like structured, formalized training might not be the answer when you've got a little, little one and you, your sleep is already compromised anyway. So yeah, that's the first rule is we don't train unless we get seven hours or more of sleep, but in general, you know, sleep, sleep. Hygiene and habits starts in the morning. It doesn't start 10 minutes before you want to turn the lights out. And so some of the things that we do, we try to get out and get some sunlight in our eyes in the morning. And I don't mean staring at the sun like a freak, but <laughs> you know, you go out on a, on a work break, um, yes. go sit in the sun without sunglasses or drive to work without your sunglasses on. If, as long as it's safe for you to do so, you know, so that you can do little things like that. Um, a protein rich breakfast, again, very important. So that way you get the amino acids that are going to be used by your body to make serotonin, which then is going to be converted into melatonin, which is the hormone that puts you to sleep. So those are some things you can do kind of in the morning around midday. This is a big one. Again, people are going to probably send you hate mail for me, but um, no caffeine after somewhere between 12 and two o'clock in the afternoon or extremely minimal, you know, caffeine has a half-life of six hours. Most people are slow metabolizers. And even if people are like, I drink coffee and then I can sleep throughout the night, you might be you know, lying in bed and not awake, but your quality of sleep and your sleep cycle may be diminished. So, you know, cut off the caffeine a little bit earlier than you might. And, you know, then we sort of take a look at more or less like toward the evening hours. We wear these really cool glasses from a company called Gunner they make gaming glasses and computer glasses and stuff like that. Like, but basically yeah, any blocker. kind of any kind of glasses that block some of the blue light that's going to be coming into your eyes, especially if you're using screens at night, TV, computer, phone, iPad, all of that stuff. The blue light that comes from those devices is going to inhibit. It's going to be telling your body like it's daytime. So it's again, it's going to make it hard. To wind down for stimulating. So let me let me ask
0: you a little bit uh, more specifics around that. So at nighttime, a couple hours before bed, you'll put on these glasses.
1: Yeah, normally around dinner time, I'm on. I mean, obviously, yeah, in North America, Northern Hemisphere now, are sort of getting into the longer daylight hours, so it's light later. Yeah, you know, we try to go around dinner time, so six or seven or so, and put those on. Certainly in the winter when it's getting dark at you know, five five or six o'clock, wherever you are, depending on your latitude, you know, get those glasses on. We use things like salt lamps throughout the house. We have a cat who's very playful. And so uh, candles just aren't safe for us, but we have some salt lamps and turn those on for light and try to keep the environment dim or as dim as you can make it. And the glasses aren't, you know, they're not foolproof. They're obviously going to be sort of a, a bandaid to the problem, but for some people, they their job may require that they be looking at screens or you're trying to catch up on social media or whatever it is. Um, there are some computer programs that have a screen dimming sort of function to them. Now the newer iOS update has something called sleep. And so that will actually uh yellow your screen if you set it properly. There's another program called f.lux that does the same for uh for Mac. And I'm not, I think it's Twilight is the Android equivalent. For Android users. So you can, you know, that's something you can do kind of actively to try to change the amount of blue light that's coming into your eyes. And then we like to say, and this is something we do in our house, like about an hour before we want to turn the lights out, we start getting ready for bed. And that could be anything from finishing the rest of the dishes to feeding the cat to taking a shower, brushing your teeth. Like we make such a big deal about bedtime routines for little ones. But as adults, we're like, I'm an adult. Yeah. (laughs) I'm free. I can do whatever I want. You know, like, don't tell me when to go to bed. I'm an adult. But our bodies really crave consistency, especially since we have a circadian rhythm that I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to change that even if you work third shift. Your body is still going to be abiding by that circadian rhythm. And the more in sync with that circadian rhythm you can get, the better you're going to sleep and the better you're going to feel. And so, you know, for us, that means lights out by 10, sometimes even earlier. And so, you know, and then there's other stuff too, like dark, cool environment. Um, you know that sort of stuff for setting your actual sleeping space up. Recently, and and I'll say this is like the last six months, we started sleeping with our phones in the living room.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, you know, so electronics out of the bedroom. If you have power strips or things like that, LED lights cover them up with tape, you know, some black electrical tape or whatever, but just get as much ambient light out of your environment as you possibly can. And then I would say like the last thing we do is take magnesium. And this is something that's pretty safe for most people. I mean, there could be somebody out there who's like, My doctor told me I shouldn't have it because it interacts with some medication, but for the most part, magnesium is a very safe supplement. And a lot of people are deficient when it comes to magnesium in their diet, even if you eat a a healthy diet. And if you're training a lot, you're especially going through magnesium a little bit faster. So we take a magnesium supplement, but you could also do transdermal. There's magnesium spray, you could do if you like hot baths, I can't stand hot baths. That's <laughs> just me. Like they freak me out, but oh, uh, you know, like, you know, hot baths with some Epsom salts after a long chaining day sounds yeah. like bliss to you, you know, do that. But yeah. there's all like throughout the day, like better sleep isn't just something you can think about like five minutes before you turn the lights out.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. This is great stuff. And, uh, very consistent with, um, a lot of the things from, uh, Sean Stevenson's book, sleep smarter has oh, sh- yeah, shown yeah. on, uh, few episodes back and he he talked about a lot of things that you talked about and it's so important and a couple of things that have uh, really changed my approach in my own sleep habits. But I think the big thing you said there is really the consistency. The consistency is so, so key. And we can't (laughs) underestimate the importance of sleep in general. And going back to what you said, maybe 10 minutes ago is that it's really more important than training because if you're (laughs) sleep deprived and you're training at a high level and you're not getting in the, the attic of sleep, you're it's really kind of self-sabotaging.
1: It's, yeah, it's a, it's a lose, lose. Like, even if you're sort of sleep deprived, there's a lot of research that now, you know, it's pretty apparent people who are sleep deprived, even sort of chronically mildly sleep deprived are like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. But Actually, cognitively, people are not fine. And so you've got those people in your life. I'm sure like I sleep five hours a night. And yes, there's probably some genetic variation there. And no, does everybody need exactly eight hours? Probably not. But if you're chronically getting like six hours or less a night, you're going to think you're okay. And I promise you, you'll feel better when you start getting more sleep. It's amazing. Like it, it changes everything. You'll be a better athlete you'll be a happier human being and you'll just be overall healthier. Um, it's really that important.
0: Yep. All right. I have a couple of quick rapid fire questions for you. And I haven't done this in, in a while, but these are really uh, simple, fast questions. So yeah. first question here is, uh, what's your favorite food? You had to say one favorite food.
1: A big grass fed steak. Nice.
0: Your favorite—that <laughs> sounds awesome. By the way,
1: you am thinking about that right now.
0: Uh, favorite beverage would be what?
1: Oh, seltzer water, probably. Really? Okay. I like I like All the right. bubbles. Yeah. I saw on your
0: website uh, you're somewhat of a coffee aficionado, so I thought that might be your response to that one.
1: You know, I I like a <laughs> I like a two good cups of coffee in the morning, and then I'm done. Okay. It actually it. it stops tasting good to me after like the first few sips, but okay. it's you know sort of a habitual thing. Sure. Sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah coffee. Yeah. Coffee, is, probably, coffee is probably a, a second. <laughs> all,
0: right. <laughs> all right. The third question is uh, your number one favorite exercise. And I know it's not the deadlift.
1: Back squats.
0: Back squat. Okay. Oh, yeah, all, all right. day. Uh, the number one thing that pisses you off the most in fitness would be what?
1: Oh, <laughs> I can only choose one. <laughs> oh, God, the word toning. What's- Really, okay, yeah, yeah, this idea of like lengthening muscles like long and lean muscles, yeah, just drives me up the wall, yeah,
0: you know, there's a couple of words that aggravate me, and toning is one of them, so <sighs> I would agree with with you on that, yeah, and then the uh the fifth question here is what's your number one training goal right now, and actually, I think you already answered that earlier,
1: yeah, right now is just to uh right now right now is to heal my back and yeah. and to just become a, a better athlete all around. Uh, I feel like longer term, I would love to uh, stand on the podium at Masters Nationals Weightlifting next nice. year. Next year? All
0: right. Yeah, next year. All
1: right.
0: So you're a podcaster as well. And I did want to ask you about that. So tell us yeah. about your show, the name of your, your podcast, and maybe some of the highlights just off the top of your head so far. I know it's hard to keep track of all these great <laughs> guests that we have on the show, but Maybe something recent that uh, really stuck out to you that maybe even made a difference in, in your life and, and what you're doing right now.
1: Yeah. So actually, the one-year anniversary of my show is coming up next week. It will be a year on June 1st, and it's called Harder to Kill Radio. So I interview people who are out there making a difference because they're passionate about fitness, nutrition, or mindset work and and obviously helping other people. So So that's... The premise of the show. And I'd say in recent memory, um, I had Kelly and Juliet on uh this actually this week, this yeah. episode 55, right. which was really fun because I've had a chance to take Kelly's mobility seminar and uh then met up with him another time when I was living in Scotland with my now husband. But I'd say the show that I just was like, oh, I don't feel alone anymore was my friend Shane Farmer, who is he was one of the coaches at CrossFit Invictus, and I had a chance to again sort of train alongside of him, and also learn a little bit of rowing technique from him. But Shane's kind of on a similar path with his, with his life, and sort of an entrepreneur who's trying to make his own way. And we just uh, we talked a little bit about rowing in that episode, but the uh, we kind of had this like really cool heart to heart conversation about fear and making the leap and our continual growth and learning process as humans and as business owners. And it was just a really fun show. I'd say the other really fun show that I did was with Dr. Steven Platek, who uh, he studies sort of the evolution of attraction, which is a very interesting topic. But we a master's <laughs> athlete in the grid league. We just nerded out on like how to be a slightly older, kick-ass athlete and be a strong human being. So that show was really fun because it was kind of science, kind of nerdy training right. and stuff like that. And that one was, that was way back, I think in the twenties at some point.
0: Excellent. Yeah. So I've heard one of your podcast episodes and I couldn't remember who it was with, but I'm pretty sure now it was the Shane uh, Farmer interview and yeah. i and I didn't get to all of it yet, but what I did hear was awesome because you guys got into some really good, good topics and discussions about entrepreneurship and, you talked about uh, habits, if I remember. Talked yeah, yeah, the, yeah. So I got that. W- that was really good. I and I've got to finish listening to that episode, actually.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, awesome. and it's cool. Like, there's a lot of us here and that are based out of San Diego. Shane's one of them, and uh, it, I actually just know. I I think I'm super lucky because I know a lot of really cool people, like people that are really making an impact in the lives of others, and uh, a lot of them happen to live here. in in san diego so it's it's fun to know people in real life and then to have them on the show there's a there's a lot of context and that that definitely i think shows through in the quality of the discussion and and the sorts of things that we we talk about
0: definitely yeah all right so a couple more questions the uh question i love to ask all my guests is what's the one book that you recommend the most to others
1: oh oh this is a hard question um I think the book that impacted has impacted me the most professionally. Like, okay, so my my like personal answer to that would be something would probably be Lord of the Rings, but that's just because I'm a huge Tolkien nerd. But um, (laughs) but the the book that sort of really just I was like, I can't. This book is amazing. uh, Is the Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, and it's not a new book. Uh, It's been out I think since 2009, but. That book really sort of, again, like there's a science component talking about myelination of neurons and like learning. And as a coach, it just brought a lot of stuff to the forefront. And I just thought a lot about like, how do we, how do people get good at what they do? And I don't think, you know, when you, when you step back and take a more scientific approach to this concept of talent, and, you know, some people might go their entire lives without trying something because they're like, i just don't have the talent for it. And it's like, you know, again, I think that opens up a huge world of potential for people. It's like, if you want to get good at something, you can get good at something. Um, but there's sort of a an interesting formula of the right things that need to come together. But at least from an athlete development standpoint, from a business owner standpoint, uh, from a human Perspective and and talking about learning and and just this like you know lifelong pursuit and how we uh, get good at things and why I think that book really impacted me and I talk about it fairly frequently on my show too so okay. I'm sure right. um, people are like oh, I've heard about that book before
0: but yeah. that's a really great book yeah that's a great book I read that a while back uh, he's got another book out that I really like a lot it's much more simple it's uh, the little book of talent and it's mm. kind of like the Cliff Notes version somewhat of, of that book. And that's a book that I recommend a lot to other people. Very, very valuable book and a super easy read as well. Yeah. All right. So your website is, uh, stephgadreau.com. Uh, tell people a little bit about the website and where should people yeah. go when they start there? And also tell us a little bit about other things you have going on. I know you got a <laughs> lot of projects and things that you're doing. So share yeah. a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So I started StephGodra.com back in January, and it was sort of a way for me to explore this idea of strength and its many different facets. And so there, there are some blog posts on there. It's not a blog-centric website at this point. I've definitely paid my blogging dues over at stupideasypaleo.com, which is my recipe website. So if people are looking for you know, gluten-free, paleo-friendly, healthy recipes that don't take a million years to put together and taste pretty good, then uh, you can go over there. And there's lots of articles, lots of blogs over there. But the new site is is focused more on um giving people the resources to develop those different aspects of strength physical mental and sort of i, I guess i call it spiritual but it's it's more you know emotional and stuff like that so sure. these different ways that we can explore the boundaries of our own strength and and so that stuff is there gosh i'm i'm kind of going through an interesting period of time right now with um with my recipe website where I'm taking stock after almost five years and doing a little bit of reorganization. And we've just started the the process over there. So that's going to take up a lot of my time, but uh, right. we've got a couple of other, you know, if I could just do all of the things that I wanted to do in a day, like there would be way too many to list, but you know, I, I've got a lot of potential things. A lot of maybes in the pipeline. Like, I'd maybe write another cookbook, or um, I'm developing a program right now that's a sort of a 12 week mastermind personal development course for people. There's all sorts of stuff out there. So, I don't know. I (laughs) kind of get that uh, shiny object syndrome sometimes, but uh, we all do. I'm working on, I'm working on like the things that I'm really excited about. And and so for me, the summit that I did, the Women's Strength Summit back in March was one of those things. And uh, people can still find that out in the world too. Yep. So
0: that was womensstrengthsummit.com. Yes. I have a link for that and everything that we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Cool. So the final question, what's the one thing, the one big thing, the one action that you'd like everybody to take away from our interview here
1: today? Hmm. I would say uh, no matter what it is that you've been kind of dreaming of doing, you know, and then you give yourself an, a reason why you can't. You're like, oh, I would love to start my own business, but there's always a but there, right? So yeah. I would say my my one thing is to just take a tiny, the tiniest step forward toward that thing today. Whether it's you do 15 minutes of googling on it, or you talk to a friend who you trust, or you just take out a piece of notebook paper and write down all of the things you would be excited to do regarding that one thing. It could be anything, you know, a particular event, you know, talk to somebody who's had your eye for a while. I mean, I don't know. You just kind of think about all the things that people are like, oh, I would really love that, but I can't for X, Y, Z. So just do do something today. Like don't wait for like, oh, Monday, I'll start Monday. Um, do something right now. And and just take one little step. And that's how that's how changes happen. Right. It's yeah. like one one step after another after another. And taking those. My one of my coaches calls it micro action. Yes. So take take some micro action today.
0: Love it. Yeah. Take action and apply something you learned from all the great things that we talked about in this session. Yeah. We talked about a lot of different things. So Steph, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining the show. Guys, thank you for listening this week. And again, once again, please take action and apply something you learned. We'll see you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast. Take care. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. And if you'd like to become part of the Ardella Training community, be sure to go to Ardellotraining.com forward slash join to get your free training mistakes guide, which contains 12 critical training mistakes I made through the years. I know this 36-page guide will save you time and frustration and accelerate your training results. And it's free. You'll get that and so much more at ArdellaTraining.com forward slash join. Hope to see you there.